0: Hello, we're back with the second episode in the three part sector special sponsored by JP Morgan Asset Management. I'm ESG Clarity Global Deputy Editor Natasha Turner, and today I'm talking to JP Morgan Global Head of Sustainable Investing Jennifer Wu all about biodiversity. Jennifer talks about how to approach sectors most prone to biodiversity loss and the unique challenges biodiversity solutions present. And spoiler alert, it's not all technology when it comes to these solutions. As ever, in the second half of the podcast, we dig into the sector a little bit more. But first, it's good to be back uh, with Jennifer today. And uh, for the next part of the sector special series, we're talking about biodiversity loss and the use of natural capital. So uh, what areas can investors be looking at in order to address issues with biodiversity loss?
1: Great question. So um, I want to first start by talking about why biodiversity I mean, biodiversity really um, support the human society, not only in the form of recreation, but also it's a critical source of raw material, food and water supply, air quality, as well as their ability to regulate the climate. Um, So if I think about biodiversity, it is really about land, water and species. Um, We know that um, by looking at what's happened over the last many years, you know, how uh, severely impacted biodiversity has been um, by as a result of climate change. Um, So I think for investors to start looking into how do we address these issues and what is it that investors could do? I think the number one thing to think about is that climate change and the whole natural ecosystem, they can't really be considered in isolation. Um, there are potential, there are uh, synergies and cost efficiencies if we try to address the problems together. So I'll give you one example. Um, oceans, oceans actually absorb the bulk of uh, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, but with the bleaching of coral reefs and some unsustainable fishing, the ocean is actually gradually losing its ability to, to do that. So if we restore the health of the ocean, not only it helps to provide a more secure source of raw materials and food supply, but it can continue to play a key role in combating climate change, right? So that's why we shouldn't consider these two things in silo. Mm -hmm. And also, I think... A lot of people approach biodiversity loss uh, from a risk management standpoint. Uh, that's very real and, and and true. So if we think about pharmaceutical company, for, for instance, uh, many of them are now recognizing to the fact that how important biodiversity is and they're investing in preservation of conservation of biodiversity um, because they rely on plants and drugs uh, for, for the drugs that they produce. Um, there are some really interesting uh alternatives, if you like, to replace natural-based solutions uh, for drugs like synthetic biology or even biobanking, et cetera. But, you know, none of those technologies are um, at scale in such a way that we can completely uh, replace what biodiversity is able to offer to us as raw materials for many of the things that uh, that we need. Mm -hmm.
0: So considering that it needs to be taken in that holistic way, I mean, it, that's quite a big, a big task, really. I mean, where where do you start with that?
1: Um, I mean, I would start with um, probably uh, some of the industries that really heavily rely on the natural ecosystem, um, and I would say it's agriculture and f- fishing, right? Because we talk about land, water, and species, mm-hmm. and these are the two sectors that really have are are, are at severe risk. If you think about the biodiversity loss mm-hmm. and they are also um, at the same time, fortunately, these two industries are also some of the primary drivers of the decline of or loss in biodiversity. So any type of adaptation investments is of critical importance because of the double impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we think about some of those solutions, right, just zooming in uh, on um, agriculture and fishing, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, there are now uh, innovations in new types of crops that can be more resistant to heat stress or they actually require uh, less water. Uh, for, for example, we know that in Zimbabwe, there is now a new types of maize, uh, so corn, that is used in drought areas whereby the farmers can actually harvest about 600 kilograms uh, more of maize per hectare comparing to the conventional one. There are also new types of rice that's being used in India that can tolerate drought. So a lot of those um, innovations in in that particular area, which is very exciting. Um, Other types of uh, technologies or solutions include things like precision agriculture and vertical farming. Not only they help to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but if you think about vertical farming as an example, it actually allows us to produce food by using a lot less water and they're actually less uh, susceptible to climate disasters, right? So, you know, these solutions can, can solve for both mitigation and adaptation. Uh, you also have um, investments into new technologies that allows us to do better monitoring, uh, which will help to notify uh, relevant people about, you know, upcoming temperature change, oxygen level in the water so that we can take actions earlier. Uh, so this is like, um, uh, so we can take actions earlier to reduce the potential loss. Um, I think this is something uh, that people often overlook, but warning systems, uh, technologies that can allow us to actually be better prepared is also equally important. Um, but I think all in all, you know, I, I would say when it comes to solutions, not necessarily only in agriculture and fishing, um, but many of the solutions, what you will find is that they are uh, able to not only help with mitigation, so reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But also um you know are able to help us better adapt to a warmer uh, climate mm-hmm.
0: and are there any um characteristics of some of the solutions that you have just mentioned that are uh, similar and therefore present their own kind of unique challenges so I mean, you've mentioned a lot of this sounds like sound like they're technology solutions, but maybe they're actually it's quite a broad range, and there aren't any things that you can draw together but but um but if there are, it'd be interesting just to hear about um whether you're coming across the same kinds of problems or challenges or opportunities with those solutions,
1: yeah, so um I think the one thing to say about uh biodiversity investment is that and the solutions uh um to consider is that it's very location specific and it can right. be very highly um, context dependent mm-hmm. so for instance. Uh, The solution for restoring coral reefs in Australia may not be the best solution and the only way for another region. Mm -hmm. And then also, um, when we don't consider uh, climate mitigation and adaptation together, sometimes we may actually overestimate the benefits of certain mitigation efforts. So, for example... um, we know that one of the one of the nature based solutions to help reduce greenhouse gas emission is uh, afforestation. Right, so you know, build, uh, uh, grow more trees. But if we don't think about the potential risks of wildfire and how to make the forest more resilient, we may actually overestimate the feasibility of afforestation. So I think that's a pretty unique challenge when it comes to nature. Um, I guess the other challenge I'd say is that. Projects may not be commercial enough or at a scale um, that's suitable for private investors. Um, and we know that quite a few of those, uh, what we call weather-based agriculture insurance, they may not be available in parts of the world, you know, be it developing or developed countries uh, that most need those type of insurance. Um, and, and I guess the final challenge as investors that we face is lack of data uh, to you can come up with the good solutions, but um, there's lack of data to really measure the impact, and that could be a deterrent to us, right? Because we want to make sure that we understand the impact that our investments are are able to make, and we know that companies also struggle to report on such data. Um, as a result, comparability has become a real issue for us in the space.
0: Yeah, definitely, and it does seem to be an area that. Perhaps not new, but I mean, we, we're certainly hearing about it much more kind of this year and last than, you know, in the previous years before that in the investment um, industry. So it is sort of uh, perhaps fair to say that it's kind of a new area for the investment industry. And so therefore, the data and things are going to have to gonna have to have catch up. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, what, are, what would you say are kind of the next steps for the investment industry to be considering biodiversity loss?
1: Yeah, so I'd say the first one is not to be deterred by lack of data, um, because the magnitude of the problem is huge, right? This presents real risks to our investment portfolios. Um, you know, the, the the World Economic Forum actually said that about 55% of the global GDP is dependent on nature, so that's a lot. And if we look at just a combination of agriculture, fishery, and uh, fish uh, fishery and forestry, you know, the gross added value generated by by the three uh, industries, it grew by, you know, more than 70 percent uh, from 2000 and 2009, to 2019. And we also know that a third of global employment is actually in agriculture. Right, So we're talking about like a pretty sizable problem that we know a risk that we should be focusing on as part of investment uh, risk management. And I also think that uh, what investor needs to do is to continue to educate ourselves about the topic. Um, it is not really well understood and uh, not necessarily a topic that investors engage with companies on when they talk about their long-term growth and strategies. So um, like, you know, at JP Morgan Asset Management, we've built a dedicated biodiversity engagement program uh, to focus on how, you know, food are produced and consumed, et cetera. And I guess the last thing that investors can do is that there are tools that are being developed as well as like frameworks mm-hmm. such as the task force, TNFD Task Force of Nature-Related Financial Disclosure. There are also biodiversity impact tools developed by the uh, uh, WWF. And I think um, COP27 hopefully is going to focus a lot more on climate adaptation uh, because there needs to be more you know, cross-country collaboration, and one, you know, if we have that, there's going to be clearer policy direction, which hopefully is going to create, you know, new investment yeah. opportunities uh, for us as investors.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, brilliant. Well, that was really insightful. Thanks so much for that. Thank you. And now, with a few more words on what sectors investors should look out for biodiversity risks in, is Lindsay Stewart. Director of Investment Stewardship Research at Morningstar.
1: Several sustainability conscious managers are getting much more specific about the kind of reporting that they expect from investee companies on biodiversity and nature loss. Those managers indicate their willingness to support shareholder resolutions requesting clearer policies or to vote against directors taking insufficient action where biodiversity is a material issue particularly in very highly exposed sectors like the extractive industries, like construction and infrastructure, and also the agriculture sector. The aim for investors is to focus on companies in those key sectors, like the ones we've mentioned, with the very largest impacts and dependencies on nature, making sure they're taking the actions to protect and restore nature and ecosystem.
0: Find us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud.